Hey, you found us. This is a podcast of Carbon Valley Lutheran Church in Firestone, Colorado, just north of Denver. We here at CVL firmly believe that community is built, not found, that it's local, not virtual. So we encourage everyone to find a local church and help them build their community and be a service to them. With that said, we pray that these podcasts supplement and not replace your spiritual journey. If you'd like to learn more about us at CVL, you can check us out on Facebook or on the web at carbonchurch.com, or even better, stop by in person. We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Happy to see all of your faces here this morning. Um, As I mentioned, we're starting our study of that book of Ecclesiastes. And so today we're going we're gonna to kind of start digging into that, but there's going to be a little bit of context setting and introduction to the book so we know exactly kind of what's going on over the, over the next few weeks. But the main theme that we want to look at is asking of ourselves, what meaning does our life have? And that seems maybe like a little bit of a heavy conversation or a heavy question that you are asking yourself this morning. Maybe you're a little bit sleepy. Maybe there is coffee in the entryway, by the way. Um, but maybe you came to church and you thought, oh, okay, this, is, this will be church and it'll be nice, light, kind of fluffy stuff. But um, here's the wonderful thing. We're going to ask some of those really, really deep questions about the purpose of our life. What meaning does our life have? Why are we here? Where are we going? And what purpose, if any, does it have? Now, you might be saying, okay, pastor's forcing me into thinking through some of these things. But the truth is, is you you think through those things already, don't you? Whether consciously or subconsciously, I think each and every one of us at different points ask of ourselves, why am I here? What am I doing? And does it have purpose? Does it have meaning? I think that's a, a, a logical question that we ask of ourselves. Put it this way. If I asked one of you to go into the kitchen and get four coffee cups and four spoons and bring them back to me, what would you say to me? Someone said, sure. Someone is so trusting of me. So yeah, sure, sure, I'd do it, right? Okay, so some of you are wonderfully trusting. Um, but probably your first question to me is probably going to be, well, why? Right? Be like, what's he up to? What's he doing? Like, you're happy to help, I would guess, but... But your natural question is, is why? So when, when we do things, when we are asked to do things, when we, we set out on, on um, paths within our lives, I think the natural question for us to ask is, why? Right? Why, why am I here? What, what, does, what purpose, if any, does God have for me in my life? And so I think in, in, a, in a real surface level, we ask that of almost everything in our life. The things you do, the things you spend your time on during the week, on some level, you want to know the why behind them, right? And I, maybe some of that is just good stewardship of our time, right? Uh, our lives and the time that we have in our lives, we try to divvy it out. We try to use it uh, as best as possible for our, uh, the people around us and things like that. And so it's natural, I think, regularly we ask the question, why? Why am I doing the things I'm doing? Why am I in the job I'm in? Why am I uh, parenting like I'm parenting? Um, why do I live in the state that I live in? Why, why do I exist here? Ecclesiastes forces us to kind of ask that same question, those same questions, not of just kind of trivial surface stuff, but more importantly, of our life. 
And so that's what we're, we're going to do here today. Now, um, as we start out this sermon series, I have to give a little bit of credit um, to, to one of my fellow pastors in ministry. Uh, his name is Luke Thompson. Uh, um, um, he was a pastor in Ottawa while I was in Toronto. He now has taken a call. He's now a professor uh, at Martin Luther College in Minnesota. Um, but Luke wrote an incredible book entitled Your Life Has Meaning. And so this sermon series in that book, Your Life Has Meaning, was actually a, a book written about Ecclesiastes. And so I kind of as we go through this sermon series, I've got a lot, a huge debt of gratitude to Luke um, um, and his book and all of his research in that regard. And so uh, once in a while, as we're going through this sermon series in the next few weeks, there might be illustrations that I, I blatantly stole from Luke. And he likes me just enough to let me do that. Um, but when we use some of those, I'll make sure I indicate it. And, uh, but I wanted to give him credit, credit on the outset, kind of as we go through this through this study. So uh, the very first one is, this is an illustration that, um, or uh, exercise that Luke did. He, um, for a while, he taught philosophy to college philosophy students in Ottawa. And so in that philosophy class, um, it was not a, a Sunday morning worship service. It wasn't preaching, right? Um, but, but one of the things he did that he forced these kids to uh, at least think through was, was the purpose of life. And his opening exercise for his class uh, always involved this. I'm going to play for you a quick video. No, I'm fine. Yes. Uh, can we do this again tomorrow? Anytime. I miss having my own room. What do you think? That's a little better. A little better? Yeah. <laughs> my boyfriend Jamie. I don't feel at home here. I feel homesick. What did you think? Nice commercial. Do you want to buy Google Chrome now? Yeah. Um, I, I am not getting, I'm, we are not sponsored here. I'm getting no kickback from Google Chrome and I am not uh, promoting Google Chrome in any way. But uh, the, the point of, of the commercial, maybe some of you have seen it. I think it's probably already a couple years old. Um, but if you kind of caught the, the gist of, of it, um, the, the father's daughter went away to college, it seems as though maybe mom uh, had passed away or was no longer there, and so it was just dad and his daughter, um, and, and all of the emotions that come into uh, um, being gone for the very first time, and, and clearly what Google wants us to come to the conclusion of is um, that in the midst of some of the, that homesickness, uh, Google has a solution. You can see each other on your computer, right? Now, we could argue whether not that's a great solution. Um, in fact, it's kind of interesting because over the past two years, we have, we have had that debate in our own heads and in our own churches and in our own community over and over and over again, right? What role does technology play in relationships? What does actually physically being here with real live living people play in our lives, right? Did you have a good feeling from that commercial? I heard someone say, aw, so, yeah. 
yeah, I mean, it, it's, kind of, it's kind of a touching, beautiful commercial. commercial. Um, but here's the really fascinating thing about it, and you probably heard some of the nondescript music that was going in the background. Um, the real fascinating thing about that is the song that was going in the background was from a, a group, a band called Chris and Thomas. And the title of that song is titled Broken Chair. And I want to show you some of the lyrics of what was going on in the background of that. You breathe, you learn, you lose. You take, you break, you choose. And as you learn and cry, you do your best and try. And as the days go by, it makes you wonder why you try so hard, so hard to mend what's bound to fall apart. How uplifting are those lyrics? <laughs> yeah, so if you had run that commercial with subtitles, you'd be like, what is happening here? Luke always used that at the beginning of his philosophy class to illustrate the dichotomy of sometimes what goes on in our lives. On the one hand, you had a commercial Google Chrome that was meant to elicit um, joy and comfort between a father and a daughter, and it was meant to elicit those emotions amongst us as well, but but running in the background was this song called Broken Chair and the words that are there. Luke said almost universally his students, after they saw the video and after they saw the lyrics, would say, that's me on all fronts. And here's what they meant by it. There were times when they were remarkably happy and joyous and loved the people around them. But there were lots of other times where the music running in the background was nothing other than brokenness, broken lives, sin, and fractures. Luke started out his class with that, trying to impress upon them the questions that we ask of our living, right? And I think we can empathize with those students a little bit, right? I think we can empathize with their view on their world. They were they're, uh, um, at the beginning of their life, in a sense, right? All the idealism that comes from college students, that they are in a philosophy class, right? And all those kind of things. But even they recognized on some level, the things that we want aren't always the things that are. And I think we understand that. I think we look back at the, the, the um, video play of our life and there are incredible amounts of joy and beauty and baptisms and birth of children and all of those things. But my guess is also woven in and amongst it at times is a lot of pain and sorrow and brokenness. So the question we want to ask ourselves is, what do we do with that? Right? If we see that in our lives, and I think we all do, what do we do with that? What purpose could that possibly have? That's what the book of Ecclesiastes attempts to answer. That's what the book of Ecclesiastes tries to draw out of us. And so that's what we're going to look at. Um, um, by the end of this sermon series, we're going we're to find firmly uh, that our life is not meaningless, but rather is meaning-filled. And so let's jump into the book. We're going to do a little bit of introduction, uh, context setting, just so you know exactly what's happening and, and what will be happening in the coming weeks. So uh, you're welcome to follow along with me if you would like. Uh, we're going to start with uh, verse 1, and then we're going to jump kind of towards the end, uh, verses 9 and 10. So 
says this, the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. Now, what word did you hear in there several times? Teacher, right? So we're, on some level, we're getting introduced to the author of this text. So this is the Hebrew word kohelet. Uh, Hebrews read right to left rather than left to right. So kohelet, uh, the, probably one of the best English translations for that is teacher. Um, but if some of you, you have other Bible translations, um, uh, translators will choose kind of different words. So sometimes teacher, sometimes the term preacher, sometimes even philosopher will be used to translate that. In short, what this is, is um, the author of Ecclesiastes telling us exactly what he wants to do for us. He wants to teach us. And you're going to see that throughout this book of Ecclesiastes. And I want to give you this warning maybe right off the start, is that he attempts to teach us in a little different way than maybe other books of the Bible teach or impart knowledge to us. Uh, Have you ever heard of the Socratic Method? Okay, I'm not a teacher and I'm not, some of you are way smarter than I am, but it, so you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the Socratic method is just a matter of teaching by asking questions, if that makes sense, okay? So teaching by drawing out answers and asking questions. In a large sense, that's what the teacher does in the book of Ecclesiastes. And once in a while, it can be a little frustrating for us. Because in this book, you're going to hear uh, the teacher just ask you questions. And you're going to be like, come on. (laughs) Like, what's the answer? Like, right? Um, And he'll ask another question. There will be other parts of Ecclesiastes where he will will ask a question, then make a statement, and then maybe a few lines later makes a, a statement that seems to be completely contradictory to the last one that he said. All of this is because he's trying to teach us. I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon We all ask those questions why at one time or another. The teacher of Ecclesiastes is going to force us to ask those questions, right? So as we go through, he'll ask probing questions. And I guess this is my encouragement to you. Um, Rather than just saying, okay, enough questions, teacher. (laughs) Just give me the answers. Rather than just like demanding a cheat sheet from the book of Ecclesiastes, um, let yourself think through those questions, If you're going to do it, you might as well do it here in church on Sunday morning, right? Let yourself think through those questions. Take them to heart. Think through in your own mind, how have I answered those questions in the past? How will I want to answer those questions maybe in the future, okay? So that's my encouragement. Now, who's this teacher? We get a little indication from the very first line of the text. Son of David, right? King of Jerusalem, Most theologians will say the best fit for that is a man named Solomon. So King Solomon um, is usually ascribed as the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes. And if you remember Solomon's life just a little bit, uh, he's kind of a fascinating character within the pages of Scripture um, because he, he doesn't do everything quite right. Let me put it that way, right? Now, and, and that's a little bit odd because um, under Solomon's reign, Arguably, Israel was at at the height of its superpowers, in a sense. Um, Never would the country of Israel be bigger, broader, and more at peace and have more luxury and more wealth than it did under King Solomon's reign. Uh, They oftentimes describe King David and King Solomon in kind of two different ways. 
King David was a, a battle-hardened king. So King David w- went into a lot of battles, right? The Israelites fought lots of battles. But King Solomon, his son, had a little different tact. They often talk about Solomon being a king of peace. So treaties and peace accords, right? So if you're setting yourself in this time and with this teacher named Solomon, that's what he's in the midst of. But what's really fascinating, maybe some of you already remember this, uh, if you know your Old Testament history, at the outset of Solomon's kingship, at the outset of his reign, he asks God to help him. Specifically, in uh, 1 Kings chapter 3, he says this, um, God asked him, Solomon, I'll give you anything that you want. Solomon asked God for wisdom. This was God's response to him. He said, the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have, have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will, do, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. So, that's your teacher for the book of Ecclesiastes, right? Smart enough, at least at the outset of his ministry, when God says, I'll give you anything, he asks for wisdom. He asks for um, being able to discern justice. It's kind of an interesting request, isn't it? But God gave it to him. Now, here's the fascinating thing about Solomon. God gave him wisdom, and in addition, wealth, and all those things. But Solomon's life was not a straight path of obedience, walking out of fear and honor and respect of God. In fact, Solomon himself would, would um, readily confess that in his life, he had tried pretty much everything under the sun. So that's the teacher of Ecclesiastes that we're looking at here today. Um, this is a recreation of Solomon's temple. Um, Solomon's reign lasted about 970 to about 930 BC. So if you're historians, you like to know where you're setting things. Um, That's that's when Solomon uh, reigned over Israel. Um, This is the recreation of that temple, Solomon's temple. Arguably probably the most magnificent church and temple that Israel had ever had. Because remember I mentioned this is the height of the power of Israel and the wealth of Israel. And so the temple on some level kind of reflected that. Now, here's a really interesting thing about the setting of the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, Solomon wrote other books in the Old Testament. Um, Ecclesiastes is normally grouped in what they would call wisdom literature, right? So this is is, uh, uh, kind of a designation that uh, the Jews did of the Old Testament Torah, um, that that this was uh, wisdom for living, But most theologians will say and agree that King Solomon's writing of Ecclesiastes came very late in his life, more towards the end of it, okay? Now, here's why I think that's important to us. Number one, um, most theologians will say that King Solomon, who wrote Song of Songs, if you've ever read Song of Songs in the Bible, um, incredible illustrations and allusions to passion and even sexuality and all these things are in Song of Songs. Most theologians will say that he wrote that very early 
in his life as a young man. Say, like, okay, that makes some sense, right? Um, most theologians will also say that he wrote the book, not that um, he did write the book of Proverbs, but that he wrote it as kind of a middle-aged guy. So, like, I'm middle-aged, I guess. So, um, but, but as a middle-aged guy. And so the book of Proverbs, you get these kind of uh, one-off um, um, at one-off lines of advice for how to live your life. Like, Book of Proverbs for me is kind of a fun one because it's remarkably practical. It's one of the most practical um, books within the Bible, but just these one-off sentences. And you can kind of understand that too. So if he writes uh, about love and desire in Song of Songs as a young man, and then as a middle-aged man, uh, he's writing about just the, like, how do you get through life? Like, I got to go to work on Monday morning. How do I get through that? Right? Book of Proverbs gives you some of those really wonderful kind of uh, um, ideas for living, that kind of thing. But then that brings us to Ecclesiastes, which we're studying here today. Um, and most believe that he wrote Ecclesiastes later in his life. Now here's why I think that's important to us. Because Solomon had seen a lot of life. Because I think there's incredible wisdom uh, that we gain in our life that only comes through mistakes, through suffering, through pain, and with time. I think there is wisdom that some of you have here, some of you that maybe have a little more gray hair on your head, that have seen more years under the sun, that you have that those that are younger than you can't fast track. We can hear it. You can have a parent or a grandparent tell you it, but until you've lived it, some of that wisdom just doesn't come. Well, the teacher of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, had lived it. And just think maybe for a moment a little bit of what he had lived throughout his ministry as king of Israel. Um, he probably gained some gray hairs because he did a building project. <laughs> this is what it looked like, right? So, right? Yeah. So, um, so he did a building project, right? Um, he, he, knew, he knew what love was, but even more than that, he also knew what sexuality was and desire, right? So Solomon ha uh, was kind of renowned for having um, hundreds of wives and even more than that of concubines. So Solomon, by his own admission, had, had literally experienced every sensuality that the world could hold and could offer. He had incredible wealth, Right? Israel was never richer than it was under his reign. And so um, on some level, Solomon, um, and, and under his own admission, had done and had tried and had experienced everything under the sun. Anything this world had to offer, the teacher of Ecclesiastes had done and he had tried. So after all of that, then he writes for us the book of Ecclesiastes. And it's a little different tone than the other books that he's written. And I think for all those reasons, we ought to pause as he asks these questions. And I think we ought to take it seriously. In a sense, the words of an old man who had lived through everything and seen everything, the words of an old man giving to us wisdom and for the next generation. Okay. So that's who is our teacher. That's going to be who your teacher is over the next five weeks of sermons. So um, Solomon in, the, in that book of Ecclesiastes. Now, um, 
uh, book of Ecclesiastes in general. So again, we're kind of high level look at this book and then uh, in subsequent weeks, we're gonna dig into, into things maybe a little more specific. Um, but Solomon does a really kind of remarkable thing throughout the book of Ecclesiastes and you can maybe mentally hold on to some of these as we go through in the subsequent weeks. Um, but on some level, he is, is, is teaching uh, kind of a philosophy class. And these are some of the main things that he is going to address at different points throughout this book of Ecclesiastes, okay? Uh, so the first one, he's going to talk about short-term meaning. So when we ask, what's the purpose of my life? If you ask yourself, what's the purpose of my life? Um, sometimes, and I would actually probably argue most of the time, our answers would fall under the category of short-term meaning, okay? So if you ask yourself, uh, as, a, as a mom or a dad, what's my purpose? Well, it's to raise my kids, it's to take care of them, it's to protect them, it's to raise them to be uh, good citizens, to, to know Christ and, and to, to be able to navigate the world around them, right? Uh, maybe it's at work, right? Um, and it would fall into that short-term meaning. Say, at work, what's my goal? Well, it's, it's, to, it's to bring value to my company, it's to be able to take care of my family. Um, and, and maybe, if you're lucky, you feel as though you're part of something a little bit bigger at work, right? But the first two, if you get a paycheck... <laughs> and you can keep the lights on, and you can pay for your kids to go to college, that feels pretty good, right? Maybe it's to find love. Maybe it's to find a partner. Maybe it's to feel accepted within your relationships. All of those things are beautiful things, are incredible blessings. But all of those, on some level, would kind of fall into the short-term meaning category right? Sometimes they use the word hedonist. Uh, if you take it to its logical extreme, it's kind of that idea of eat, drink, and be merry, right? Because you're living for this life, right? And try to be good to the people around you, be able to have vacation, uh, be able to have a little comfort, be able to leave something to your kids, and that's about it, right? So I think most times, operationally, in our lives, and the lives of the people around you, more often than not, I, I think we kind of fall into that one, into the short-term meaning category, right? Um, and in truth, so do I, right? There are days where maybe I've said this to you once in a while. We've had some rough weeks with Tatum, um, but I've said it to uh, my family members and things like that and say, well, um, all I know is that I have to preach a sermon on Sunday. And so I'm going to do whatever I need to do to be able to get to that Sunday to preach. All I know is, is what Tatum has on her footsteps the next day. And maybe we do that, just day by day. What has God put in front of us on that day? Are we good to the people around us, right? But again, that all largely falls into that short-term meaning category, okay? Second one that Solomon's going to talk about a little bit more is this idea of moral meaning or or uh, humanist. So um, this is the, the idea that, that um, God has put us on earth in order to do something, okay? Um, I heard a story about a dad and his son, and his son had graduated high school, um, and he decided he wasn't going to go to college, but he was mainly just going to play Xbox in the basement. And what do you think the dad's reaction was to that? Yeah. He's wasting his life, right? He's wasting his life, right? Well, 
His son didn't think he was wasting his life. <laughs> he was loving it, right? Um, but the dad's, dad thought he's wasting his life. Because, and, but here's what the dad has already done. He's made a moral judgment for his son. That his son ought to be doing something. That he ought to be making an impact. That he ought to be engaged in something. And so that second one, um, that idea of moral, moral meaning, that we, we ought to be doing something to make this world a better place. Right? through our jobs, through our relationships, uh, through the things we do. So that's kind of that second one, that moral meaning. Uh, the last one um, is kind of an existentialist uh, that there really is no meaning to life. Um, that, that the only thing you can do is try to make an impact in the here and now, but there's no overarching anything beyond that. Right? And the last one that Solomon is going to bring up as we go through our text, and you actually... You actually heard a little bit of it because we read the very first verse of our, the book of Ecclesiastes and the very last verses of the book of Ecclesiastes. The last one is what philosophers, theologians, sometimes will call cosmic meaning, sometimes use the word meta-narrative. That means is, is that we are here for a greater purpose and that's not just our living or even just our kids that are coming after us, but that God has placed us on this earth in part of a far larger story than the small momentary blip of our lives uh, reveals. That idea that we are not here by accident, uh, we are not here by chance, but that we are part of, that you are part of something that is far bigger, far grander, and far more beautiful than we could have ever imagined. Those are the four things that we're going to kind of dig into throughout this book of Ecclesiastes. So, you don't have to have all the answers of all those right now. But at least as we go through in the coming weeks, maybe you think through some of the, the, those meanings and see specifically where Solomon is trying to take us. Now, how does the teacher get us there? It may be a little bit painful. So let's, uh, let's look at our next little clip of text here. Uh, verse 11 and 12. Uh, so Solomon says this, The words of the wise excuse me, are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Okay. So, the teacher is admitting that sometimes it's going to be a little bit painful, these questions that we're going to ask. Uh, I googled a shepherd's goad. There are no pictures of them. So, um, but I do have descriptions of what a shepherd's goad was. And essentially, it was a staff with, I think, some sharp nails and things at the end of it. And you can guess what he used it for. Yeah. So sheep, cattle, get moving, right? Uh, if you don't follow the herd, if you get out of line, a shepherd's goad was, was, uh, had something sharp that it was, he was able to kind of prick the animal to cause a little bit of pain to get them back in line. Now, this was not to punish the animal. It was not to, to hurt them. It wasn't to draw blood. It wasn't anything like that. But on some level, the shepherd needed to have something to be able to correct the sheep or the cattle. Well, guess what Solomon just said? These words that we're hearing here are going to do for us. At times, they're going to be sharp, <laughs> At times, some of these questions that we ask of ourselves, I think, might even be a little bit painful as we consider our lives, how we've lived, how we've gotten to this point. But here's the good news. God's word always, even if at times it feels sharp and it may feel a little bit painful, 
God's word and God himself and our good shepherd always is leading us to green pastures, to forgiveness, and to love. So Solomon reminds us of that, okay? We'll continue on here with verse 13. Finally, he says this. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. Now, we kind of cheated a little bit because I gave you the very first verse of Ecclesiastes and now I just gave you one of the very last verses. But I think it's good for us to hold on to that as we walk through this book because Solomon gives us an idea of where we're headed. Talked about that idea of cosmic meaning or meta-narrative, right? Solomon tells us, here's our purpose, right? Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. When we hear that word fear in the, on the pages of the Bible, we've got to understand that there's a, it's a little richer, a little broader than that. I think oftentimes we just think of fear as in fear and trembling, right? So the shepherds in front of the angels um, just scared for their lives, terror, right? But when God uses that term fear within the pages of Scripture, um, it could mean fear and trembling. If angels appeared to us now, we would probably be fearing and trembling, right? But far more often, um, when God uses that term fear, it means honor, it means respect, and on some level, it means submission to our God above. Saying to our God above, you are bigger, you are wiser, you are more powerful, you are more loving than I am. Saying to our God above, um, you, you, are, you have infinite wisdom and you can see all things and I'm going to trust you for the guidance of my life. Now, Solomon says that and those aren't just idle words <clears throat> because he had seen it all. <laughs> he had tried it all. And what was his conclusion? To let God guide it all on some level, to put it into God's hands, right? And he was going to guide us through. Now, here's the amazing thing about that. At first blush, that sounds um, almost as if we're, we're kind of conceding our life. And the truth is, on some level, we are. We're putting our lives and its purpose and our meaning into the hands of our God above. And that can be a frightening thing, right? That can be a frightening thing until you know that the hands that we have put our lives into were the very same hands that were outstretched on a cross for you. That's ultimately what Solomon is leading to when he talks about the shepherd. Because <laughs> we have a good shepherd. His name was Jesus Christ. He laid down his life on the cross for you. That is the narrative. That is the true story that we are a part of. That our God above saw our brokenness, our broken chair... <laughs> our messed up, disparate lives and said, I'm going to enter into their world in order to pull them from it. I'm going to enter into their world so that they would know, so you would know without a shadow of a doubt that you are forgiven, that you are loved, and that your eternal destination is eternity and is heaven. That's the joy we have that Solomon's going to lead us on in the book of Ecclesiastes. And I'm jumping ahead a little bit. But here's the amazing thing about that. Solomon's going to, in our subsequent sermon, Solomon's going to use some words. Um, he's going to talk about meaninglessness. Um, he's also going to talk about uh, a view of or life under the sun. And most of the books of the Bible, many of the books of the Bible, 
kind of give us a top-down um, heaven view of our earth. Kind of this idea of like from above looking down, God's view of us looking down. Ecclesiastes is fascinating in that this is Solomon's view um, and gives us a view of life under the sun. So more so standing here and looking up. And so he's going to be remarkably honest because when we are standing here looking up, the reality of it is we stand in the midst of pain, in the midst of sin, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of loss, in the midst of pandemics. That's life under the sun. But this is the most amazing part. Solomon is going to point us to that good shepherd. And when we know what God has done for us, when you know that you are a part of a far greater story, a far more important story, it changes even all of the stuff that's under the sun a little bit. In fact, it changes how we view the under the sun stuff. The pain of work, loss, struggle, all of those things we are able to see, we are able to endure. In fact, Solomon will go a step further. You will be able to find joy in the common, seemingly menial things of life because you know without a shadow of a doubt that your path and your eternity is in God's hands and it leads to heaven. Amen. Amen.